got three sessions which you'll see on the kind of program, so I won't go into the ins and outs of that right now. Um, but looking at uh, the faithfulness of God, really, and then how, I mean, that last song actually was kind of perfect, really, where it says, oh, to be like you, kind of looking at the last session in particular, whether we're faithless or we're faithful. Um, but if you look at the word faithfulness, if you look at the idea of faithfulness, it kind of runs parallel in the scriptures with truthfulness, that God's faithful, he's true to himself, what he says, he does. So his word, what we're going to look at in scripture today, uh, uh, is true and factual. Now, every time we kind of, in life, start going off piste a little bit, we start, I've thrown that in on purpose because we're at escape, start going like, you know, we hit crossroads and we're questioning the faithfulness of God, um, it's probably because we're not trusting what he says, we're not taking it at face value that actually he is faithful and he is trustworthy. So God will always be reliable, and actually us relying upon him That's what faith looks like today. I mean, Hebrews 11 is often the verse that's quoted, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But this assurance, this kind of uh, dependability, um, only comes about if something is rock solid. Um, Only if it's something that we can build it upon. You know, I'm sure in this room you have faith in lots of things, whether that's Jesus Christ or otherwise. I still have this longing, this faith deep down inside of me that my football club will again lift the Premier League title or will be the six times champions of Europe. But as it happens, we've got an absolute muppet as a manager in Brendan Rodgers and my football club will probably just carry on going down the pot. It's a different kind of faith to me thinking Liverpool are going to be Everton tomorrow. That's kind of wishy-washy or a different kind of faith to when I was in my younger days before I met my wife thinking that You know, I could have the pick of any girl that I saw at university. I had the faith and the belief in myself, but the reality was very different. When we're talking about faith, when we're talking about faithfulness of God today, we're talking about something that is rock solid. He always accomplishes what he promises in scripture, and he's totally reliable. So I want you to kind of have that running in the background. I'm not going to come back to that. I'm not going to keep reminding you of that, but just have it in the background as we go through. The storyline of this book, often we kind of, people say, oh, it's a manual, it's kind of a self-help book. It's not any of those things, it's God's story. And actually, as you read through it, it's the story of Jesus and a guy coming to save you. This faithful God who creates everything, and then we as man mess it up, reject him. And then God chooses a people for himself in Israel who are supposed to display what it looks like to be his people to the world. They're supposed to almost represent the faithfulness of God to the world. But in fact, they kind of do the opposite. They mess up, they fall short. And so the whole of the Old Testament is building and building and building and building for such a time where actually there'll be someone who is faithful. There'll be someone who does all that they're supposed to do. Where they've fallen short, there'll be someone that goes the distance. And that's where we meet the promised Messiah in the New Testament of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at, the fact that God is faithful for us in the person of Jesus. We like to think of ourselves all of the time as the hero, don't we? We enter ourselves into, even into biblical narratives and think that we're the hero somehow. But actually, we're going to see that God is today. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So it talks about how Adam is our representative of humanity Uh, brought sin into the world. But then it says, because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam, death reigned, that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life 
through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of reigning in life. I don't just want to kind of muddle through this life that we have. And actually, as Christians, we're to reign in life, not because we're heroic, not because we're awesome, but because the one who's gone before us is. It carries on, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as one man's obedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made to be righteous. So in other words, because of Adam, who is, uh, you know, I, I know you've seen the who do you think you are stuff on TV. Well, we could just say Adam. We don't need to do our family history. We can just go back to the first people. Adam and Eve, that's our family history. That's our story, rejecting God, messing up, falling short. Death reigns, sickness, pain, misery. The world is not necessarily the nicest place to live in. But then we have Jesus who offers undeserved favor. He offers grace for those who were far off. And so what I want to do in this first session, which is about the fact that God is faithful for us, is just highlight the faithfulness of Jesus in comparison to you and me. Because so often we think of ourselves as really faithful, awesome, great people. And I'm not going to dispute that. You might be great, but Jesus is better than you. And the second that we start putting ourselves in the center of the story, the second we start thinking that the Bible is all about us, the second we start going off piste and we start getting it wrong, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about God. It's his story that we get brought into. And so that's what I want to just look at. Uh, this morning in this first session, that we have Jesus, who is the God-man, the Son of God, sent from heaven. And yet, he faced temptations just as we do, but doesn't succumb to them. This is Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So where we fail, where we fall short on a daily basis... Jesus has faced those challenges too. That's what Hebrews says here, that in every respect he has been tempted as we are. We might think, well, God doesn't know what it feels like to go through this. God has no idea what it feels like to be in a relationship with this or to live in a messy world like this. But oh no, he does. And actually the fact that he does and didn't sin should bring us great hope. Jesus has walked the paths that we face, has been challenged in the way that we get challenged, he has the opportunity in his earthly ministry, in his 33 and a bit years of his life, for either obedience to his calling and what he's doing, or disobedience. He has a choice in that. He can choose. We're told in scripture that at any point he could call down a whole host of angels to come to his side and rescue him and take him off. He could do that at any point. But whereas we will kind of bail out and we make mistakes, Jesus goes a different path. In one sense, he's our true, our better representative of what humanity should aspire to look like and be like. Jesus is, in one sense, what we were created to be like. Obedient, faithful, true, in relationship with the Father, living the life that we were created for. I want to look briefly at uh, Luke chapter 4. I don't know if you've brought Bibles with you or whether it will be on the screen or not, I don't know. But I just want to read this really famous passage uh, from Luke 4. Because, you know, the author of Hebrews says Jesus has faced every temptation and hasn't succumbed to them. Jesus doesn't mess up where we do. And so Hebrews, uh, Luke 4 is a really good example of that. This is what it says. It's a temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. 
and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up. Uh, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus, Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, uh, it's interesting, he says every temptation there. Um, so there's stuff that we don't know about going on here in this 40 days. It's not just three examples and that's it. He's happy for the other 37 days. It's a 40 day period here of temptation from the evil one. It says that, uh, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, until he has another go at him, until he tries again a little bit later. And it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So Jesus gets tempted in the wilderness. And then from that point, he comes out in the power of the spirit and he starts to teach people. He starts to share. He starts to minister to people. These are some of the verses from Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He's just been baptized. He's just had this spiritual high point. If you've not been baptized before, it's, it's not just symbolic. Something spiritual goes on too. It's kind of a spiritual high point in our life. He returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. I don't know about you, but for me, every day seems to be a kind of battle with temptation. Every day I have decisions to make. Will I follow after Jesus? Will I be faithful in my war with him? Or will I just do whatever I want to? We face a choice, don't we, to follow God and his ways or do our own thing. And you know, you and I, we get tempted by pure rubbish. It's not like we're facing massively difficult challenges, but it's just rubbish that's thrown at us. Stuff that should be easy to say no to. And in comparison, here we have the Son of God led him, set by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days of the devil himself, and there's only one of Satan. You know, people, all of this gets me. People say, oh, Satan's attacking me. There is only one Satan. Now, if of the billions of people on this planet, Satan is attacking you, personally, take it as a compliment. Because you're obviously doing something right. You're obviously going forward in the kingdom. Maybe as minions, not the yellow things, demons will be afflicting you, I'm sure, and tempting you. But here we have the devil himself, the fallen angel Lucifer, tempting Jesus in the wilderness, trying to trip him up, trying to cause him to fail. And for 40 whole days, day after day, moment after moment, he's trying to get Jesus to take the easy way out. Jesus knows his destiny. Jesus knows what he's there for. He's come to live, to show God, but he's also come to die upon a cross. He knows he's going to be crucified. It's not news to him. He's come with that in mind. And so Satan here, all the time, is just going to say, oh, there's, there's another way here, Jesus. There's another way. Just listen to what I have to say. Why don't you do it my way instead? 
He offers him the easy way out. He says this, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now that is in Jesus' arsenal, isn't it? We know if you read the Gospels that Jesus has got that up his sleeve. He can take water and turn it into wine. He can feed thousands of people with some fish and a bit of bread. He can turn, if he wants to, a stone into some bread, can't he? He's more than capable of doing that as he's in the wilderness. And yes, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten either. So the temptation there is for him to satisfy his immediate need. But he faces a choice. Does he carry on? Does he carry on with the mission of God, with the calling of what he's to do? Or does he take the, does he compromise in the moment? And that's when the kind of faithfulness question comes in because it's always in the heat of the moment. In advance, you'll say, well, I'll never become an alcoholic or I'll never get addicted to this or I'll get addicted to that. But it's different in the moment. Very different when you're under different circumstances or different stresses. And here we have Jesus has a, a momentary opportunity to take a different path. But where we would choose, we wouldn't choose well, Jesus does choose well. And we have to realize that our satisfaction in those moments of trial, in those moments where we have a decision to make, that ultimately our satisfaction isn't found in just the immediate pleasures, but our satisfaction is found in God, that we're to live for something far greater than just meeting our immediate needs. And whether we eat a bit of food or not seems a bit trivial here, actually. I don't think that's really what the temptation that Jesus is facing, that he was a bit hungry. I think if we take it like that, we kind of miss really what Satan is digging down to a little bit. Look again at that verse. He says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be bread. He poses a question to him. He challenges Jesus. If, if you really are who you are claiming to be, then you could turn this stone into bread and prove it to me. You could demonstrate to me you are all that you say that you are. If you're the son of God. If, if, if. And that's how these temptations that we face get posed to us, isn't it? It happened in the garden in Genesis, if you remember. Oh, don't worry, Eve. It'll be okay. Did God really say, is the way that the serpent poses the question. Did he really say that? Or did he say something else? And here we have it again. If you are the son of God. And even though Jesus' ego here, that's what he's dealing with. That's what Satan's getting at. It's kind of pride and ego. God is faithful. But to us, the question might be, you know, betting that little bit of cash, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's okay. No one's going to get hurt by you going down to the bookies. Or it's okay that you think that of somebody. It's okay for you to be vindictive and gossip a little bit. No one's going to notice. It's okay. That's the challenges that we face on a daily basis. Always posing a question. Always posing a question. If you do this, it will all be okay. How does Jesus respond? Well, he knows the truth. He knows the faithfulness of God. He knows the faithfulness of Scripture as well. This is the Son of God. It's interesting, that, isn't it? That the Son of God turns to the Word of God. He doesn't use anything else. He uses the same thing that we have today. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus knows the word. Jesus knows the truth of who God is and what God says. And that's his weapon. That's his rebuke. No, that actually what you're saying here, Satan, is not true. 
Because the word of God says something completely different. And you know when there's questions posed of us that say, oh, you know, you're not really worth very much. Or just look at yourself in the mirror, that's awful. Or whatever those questions might be, whatever is fired at us. We go to scripture, we find the truth. We find the truth of a God who loves us so much that he would send his son for us. That's how precious we are in his sight. It carries on. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms. I want you to think about this. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't know if you've ever kind of just dwelt on what that would look like. I can't get my head around what that would look like. But all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And he said to him, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will, if you will worship me. If, Jesus, you worship me, everything you see is yours. Now, it's a lie of the enemy, because the enemy doesn't actually have that to give away in the first place. But that's kind of beside the point of what I'm looking at today. You know, ego didn't work. Jesus' ego wasn't massaged. Uh, Pride didn't trip Jesus up where it trips us up. But what about power? What about fame? They're things that appeal to us, aren't they? That we'd be known. That everyone would know who we are that we'd be famous, that we'd hold power over people. All Jesus had to do was worship something other than God. And Satan offered a lie to him, which he didn't take. We have those same things offered to us. Where he says, well, you know, you want to be powerful, you want to grow in your company. It's okay to cut corners. It's okay if you do this behind closed doors or you don't pay your tax or whatever it might be whatever example we might have, to accelerate promotion, to accelerate fame. And power is always going to be a temptation for us because we always want to be the hero. I, don't, I mean, I'm not a massive dreamer. I don't wake up uh, in hot sweats and worry about what I've just dreamt the night before. But sometimes, or growing up, I would have this dream when I would always be the hero. There would be a damsel in distress locked in a tower somewhere, and I would rescue her. Or there'd be some sort of, uh, there'd be a lady with a baby, and she's crossing the road, and she didn't see a car coming. And just before the car hits her, I throw myself in front, and I get hit by the car. And I'm okay, obviously, because you never die in your own dream. But we always like to be the hero. We always like to be the center of attention. We have to realize that about ourselves so that we can deal with it. And in one sense, we have to move ourselves out of the way of this story and this picture. Because our identity in Christ is that we aren't the hero, but Jesus is. And you know, if we live like we're the hero, Godwin is never going to satisfy you. Jesus is never going to satisfy, because you're always looking to self, always looking for self-interest, self-promotion. But if Jesus is your hero, he is always going to satisfy you. You will never have enough of him because there is always more of his spirit, always more we can be doing and be in his hands and his feet in building the kingdom of God. Because the other problem is when we're the hero is we fall short. We mess up. And it's not that story, uh, fairy tale picture where everything works out in the end. You know, when we're the hero, we mess up and we mess up for good. There's not always a happy ending. And when that happens, it's like we're being hit by a big stick all the time. You failure, you failure, you failure. You've failed again. You've messed up again. You've been faithless again. 
We get entrapped by guilt and shame and fear. And we live with our eyes fixed to the ground. Because we're ashamed we're not the hero. We were never meant to be. We're not created to be. And I tell you, the sooner you realize that, the sooner you will walk in the freedom of what it's like to be a son or a daughter of God. The sooner you will realize that actually we're to live for him. We have to look beyond ourselves for hope. You know, our lives will matter and make a difference when we start representing Jesus well. When we start acknowledging that he's the hero in our lives. Our lives reach fulfillment and pleasure and we're satisfied when he's the hero. Because he's the faithful one. He's the one that walked those paths that we're failing in. And he's the one that carries us through when we fall. Some amazing words from 1 Corinthians 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says to us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You know, in this room, there will be other people that are facing the same challenges that you do. That should give us some hope, shouldn't it? We're not in it on our own. We're not alone on this journey of faith. And then it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, people often misquote this scripture here. And they say, oh, it's okay. I can't go through really hard stuff because the Bible tells me, it tells me that God's faithful. He won't let me be tempted beyond my ability. So obviously what I'm facing is within my ability right now. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying here is if you look at the verse that it comes straight after it, but with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. What he's saying is whenever we are tempted, whenever we face decisions, there will always be an out. There will always be a path towards him, not away from him. And that's what it means to not be tempted beyond our ability means God gives us a get out. God gives us the opportunity to follow after him. We will face hard stuff. I don't know, probably some of you are going through some pretty hard stuff right now. So when you read those verses in the the former way, it's not very comforting. But when you realize, actually, no, God's given me a get out here. God's given me an opportunity because God's faithful and God's true to his word. He gives us a choice. He will always give us a door by which we can exit. There is always going to be a way to follow after Christ. And it might mean enduring. It might mean it's difficult. But actually, we have the person of Jesus looking to him, our eyes upon him. That's why I love Hebrews 12. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Stop looking to yourself. Start looking to him. It makes all the difference. A couple of years ago, I went through a torrid time in church. Who'd have thought it? Church is always lovely, isn't it? Rainbows and butterflies. A torrid time. It was miserable. Not a Redeemer King, I'd hasten to say. Redeemer King's great. <laughs> and someone said to me, I said, why don't you just put a verse in your office? Put it up where you can see it. And that was the verses that I chose. Every day I would look up and I'd see Hebrews 12. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going because he's faithful. Because he's better. Because he's gone there. To be honest with you, it's in those times where we, we discover our, our character gets kind of shaped and formed, isn't it? That we have the choice. It's where our faith is tested. We go, am I going to go God's way or am I going to go my own way? 
And often to go God's way is the hard yards. To follow Jesus is to walk along the narrow path, not the wide road. But our character gets shaped and formed. You know, we become more like Jesus. More like who we were created to be like. More in the image of God. You know, God wants us to be his people walking with our eyes up, not our eyes down. Not heavy, weighed with guilt and shame, but set free because Jesus has earned freedom for us. Often, uh, dependent on your church culture, people tend to swing one way or the other, that you have a mentality where we're saintly and where everything is brilliant, we're perfect, we're, we're doing well, or we're miserable sinners. You'll know which one your church is like. And so, oh, everything's so miserable because I'm a sinner, I'm a terrible person. Well, our identity as the children of God is actually, I don't want us to think of ourselves as, um, as kind of, you know, sinners who are occasionally saintly. Because we will walk around guilty, heavy, weighed with fear and shame, but rather... View yourself as a child of God, a saint. That's how it's described in the New Testament. Who's going to make mistakes? Who's going to fall down? But Jesus is there. Grace is there that he would lift us up and restore us. That's why we dust ourselves down because we will make mistakes. We will be tempted and we will fail because we are not Jesus Christ. (laughs) But we go again. We don't let it throw us off course. We trust in Jesus again. You know, there's this great quote that says, every saint has a past, but for every sinner there is a future. No matter how many temptations and how many times we have failed, we have a future if we trust in Jesus Christ. If he's our hope, if he's the hero. Don't let our mistakes and the fact that we will make them, both today and going forward in the future, define who you are. Instead, learn from it. Repent of that. And next time, trust Jesus more. Next time, take the out. Next time, be conformed and lift your eyes up and be created and recreated that we're new creations. We're the children of God. And start living for him again. You know, we will make mistakes, but Jesus is faithful for us in his life. And more than just putting up with temptations, he goes to a cross He dies for us. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in the second session when we're looking at the fact that Jesus is faithful to us. Why don't we just have a moment where we'll just pray. Maybe as I was talking, the Spirit of God was just bringing things to mind and laying them on your heart where actually you've been tempted or you've made mistakes and there's kind of a a guilt or a heaviness that's just upon you. Maybe shame. Maybe you're ashamed of things that you've done in your past. And maybe in this moment, it should be a good opportunity to just pray And actually, to trust in Jesus and realize, well, actually, he's the hero of this book. He's the one that's gone before me. And if I trust in him, I can be set free from these things. That we don't need to walk in shame and guilt of the mistakes that we've made. But we can be set free to live for him. So why don't we just pray? And if that's you, just pray in the quiet or talk to someone after this session. Pray with them. Don't just leave it. That's the worst thing you can do. Let the Spirit of God minister to you and change you today. God, we thank you that you're faithful for us. That Jesus, you came with a plan to rescue a people for yourself. 
And we're thankful that you are faithful to that. And we're thankful that you are faithful in life. That God, where we mess up and we make mistakes, that you went and you succeeded. You weren't dragged down. You weren't swayed off course. And God, we thank you that we can learn from that. That we're to depend upon your word. Depend upon your spirit. But also to put our hope in the hero of, uh, of, of everything, Jesus. God, help us to look beyond ourselves for hope. Help us to live for him, because that's where life truly is in living for Jesus. And we pray, God, that for those that uh, there may be kind of things that weigh heavy on their heart now, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come. We invite you to be in this place today, and that you would just begin to bring that level of healing. You would just begin to uh, pour out your grace upon us and start setting people free, free to live for you again free to choose well to follow after Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.